Good morning, everyone. What an amazing God that we serve together. And thank you, Kathy, for interpreting for me. Excited to have Robert here with us this morning, and then our daughter, Anna, who's watching from Louisville, Kentucky on Facebook. Today is the World Mission Sunday. We celebrate not only the mission of the Anglican Church worldwide, but the movement of God's spirits into the hearts, communities, and cultures around the globe and throughout history. For today's message, I'm going to begin by trying to reclaim Apostle Thomas's reputation, tarnished as being called the doubter, and share about gospel, uh, global missions, and then give some quick tips on being indigenous missionaries. So those are the three parts. In John's gospel, there are three times when Thomas appears, and it gives us a lot of insight into his personality and his character. First time is in chapter 11. Um, if you want to follow along, it's got even more information you can pull than I have time to, to share. But it tells about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who were close friends of Jesus. And news comes that Lazarus might die, which in fact he soon does. But Jesus delays and then told them, well, Lazarus has died and we're going to go see him. So Thomas says, speaking really to the others, he says, well, let us go also that we may die with Jesus. Now, the response may seem a little gloomy or sarcastic or even an attempt at gallows humor, which I kind of suspect, but it was an incredibly insightful recognition. It reminds me in the movie Braveheart with the Irish character, who was one of my favorite, in the, and he comes up on a fight that's been battling, and he says, is this a private fight or can anyone join in? So that's Thomas. But he also was very insightful in this comment because the reality is that the raising of Lazarus was really the key tipping point when the religious leaders decided that they were going to have Jesus put to death. So it sounds more to me like a bold, insightful Thomas rather than a doubting Thomas. Come on, guys, we got this. Let's go with him and die. Nothing doubting about that. In chapter 14, we jump down, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to his father's house and preparing a room for them there. He tells them, I will come back and take you with me. You know the way where I am going, to where I'm going. Now, Thomas probably looks around the room to see if anyone else is puzzled, and he responds, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Well, at this point, in response to Thomas's question, Jesus gives what's one of the most central beliefs in our Christian faith. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know the Father also, and from now on you do know him and you have seen him. Thanks for asking, Thomas. I'm glad you clarified that. I don't know how many of you, but I was always the kid who kept asking questions until I understood what in the world was going on, you know, in, in a class until I, I wanted clarity. I wanted to understand what was going on. I was curious. I wanted to, to, to ask these things. And this vital question, it not only tells us about the uniqueness of Christ, but it also gives us one of the important factors in the concept of the Trinity and the understanding of the Trinity, that Jesus is fully man and fully God. In, in that conversation. 
So he sounds more like a curious, inquisitive Thomas to me than a doubting one. And so now we return to today's gospel reading, the third time that we hear about Thomas in chapter 20, verse 19, who also had his doubts. But I think his doubt was in his fellow believers, not in Jesus. He had already shown boldness and character and and inquisitiveness and, and understanding, and he was with Jesus resurrection of Lazarus he'd seen all these things but Jesus he had just gone through this incredible shocking experience of a brutal crucifixion of his Lord and Savior and and the fear that that comes Um, and I think he was just stunned (coughs) excuse me I think he just needed some time to process you know the fight or flight response when there's some sort of a threat and the tendency to fight or flight Well, there's another response that we introverts are particularly adept at. It's called the shocked pause. You just freeze. You watch to try to gather information, and then you figure out what you're going to do next. And I think that's where Thomas was. And it actually serves us well in life. Um, He was confused, but he did not flee. He did not fight. The others were scared. They took action. They gathered together. They were indoors and had the doors locked. And Thomas wasn't there. Now, I think he was out processing it with some of the other people who were stunned and shocked by what had just happened to Jesus in the, in the crucifixion. Talking to people, you know, Mary and mother of Jesus and the, the other um, disciples. And he obviously had contact during this time because he heard about Jesus coming that week in meeting with him. I think that was just him trying to to gather enough information upon which to make a decision. When the disciples, let me come back to what I was saying about doubting his fellow disciples. You know, when they told him about seeing a physical Jesus that you could actually touch and, and, and he doubted them Because in his mind, he's thinking, well, maybe you saw him. Maybe you thought you saw him. Maybe you saw his spirit. But I'm going to believe for myself when I see the evidence of the risen Lord. And it's interesting that one of the reasons I think John highlighted this scripture and highlighted this story of Thomas's interaction was to really drive home the point that Jesus had a new body and was resurrected to the new reality of, of heaven and earth. You know, he wasn't like Lazarus who was just resuscitated. And he, four days, that's a long time for a resuscitation. It was a miracle, you know, but the reality is that Jesus raised him from the dead, but it wasn't the resurrection. It was he died again. Well, Jesus was unique. He's the first among us who's resurrected from the grave and is still alive, breathed his spirit into us, went and sits at the right hand of the Father. You know, but he wasn't just a, a, a ghost or a, an illusion or some sort of psychological issue. There's actually a, a, um, a really errant theology that says the resurrection didn't really happen. It was just in the hearts and the minds of the believers. So He's resurrected in us, but he really wasn't resurrected physically. And John is saying, absolutely wrong. Jesus was resurrected physically. There are all kinds of witnesses. He appeared here. And I think that's one of the reasons that this was such an important story in terms of of proving that this was a new 
physical reality that we all are looking for. Jesus has gone and prepared a place for us. And one day we'll experience that new body and that new heaven and that new earth as Jesus um, led the way and did. So chapter 20 shows us that Thomas had confusion, he had doubts, but most of the it shows us that he didn't run away, he didn't flee. He's a resilient Thomas who understands that emotions and logic, sometimes they just don't get it. Sometimes it's just commitment. It's the commitment that we've made, and he didn't give up regardless of that season of instability. There are other pillars in our faith who have experienced deeply troubling doubts, but they didn't give up. Mother Teresa revealed in her depression and fatigue to a trusted mentor in the form of letters that were found after her death. Billy Graham was stunned and thrown off balance during the early years of his ministry when his friend and co-evangelist, Charles Timpton, renounced his faith and actively began working against the Christian faith. Times of struggle and uncertainty in faith are commonplace, But like Thomas, we all don't let what we don't know or understand distract us from what we do know and understand. Don't let what we don't know distract us from what we do know and understand. But sometimes we need to pause. Sometimes we need to recognize that God is pursuing us and that we just need to listen and ponder and see what to do next. And grace and faith by their very nature are a mystery. Grace is undeserved forgiveness and acceptance by God. He's the one pursuing us. Faith is committing all that you know of yourself to all that you know of God. So that's why a child can commit all they know of themselves to all they know of God, but they're gonna grow and know more about themselves, right? And so they have more to commit and applied in new contexts, new times. As they grow and they learn more about God, God gets a little bigger and more knowledge about him. There's more to commit to. And so this is the word of salvation is that we were saved, we're being saved, we will ultimately be saved in the final judgment to be with God forever. But that we're constantly in that process of committing, recommitting all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of God. We're just human beings trying to make sense of it all. And by the grace of God, we have the gift of the Holy Bible and the Holy Spirit to guide our journey. We don't have permission to make it up. We have a responsibility to understand what's been passed down to us and contextualize it to Gainesville, Florida in 2019 to make it make sense there because we're part of a line that's passing it down through the generations for the future generations as well. So whatever happened to Thomas? Did Thomas give up on Jesus? Did he just fade into historical oblivion? God used Thomas in amazing ways to spread the gospel to the east. At the same time, Paul was spreading the gospel to the west. Thomas um, was one of the most effective missionaries in his life, uh, in, in history, The Orthodox Church writes about holy, glorious Apostle Thomas who started churches in the ancient Eastern world in what would today become Syria, Jordan, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, Northern India, and then went to Southern India where he was martyred and died in Southern India. That's a lot of turf. 
it's kind of interesting the side is that Nathaniel had gone north um, and he actually went and visited Thomas uh, while he was there and just imagining how, how neat that would be for these apostles to be able to be together again like that. What an impact. A missionary to the ends of the earth. So now I want to shift a little bit in terms of missions globally today. Several years ago, I was praying to God for sending missionaries from Africa to help us find our way back to Christ here. I felt like that we as a nation had just completely lost our way. With all our affluence and abundance, it seemed that we had been widely seduced by secularism and racism and rampant hedonism. Like the Macedonian call to Apostle Paul, I had my own internal cry for help from those who'd endured such great hardships with incredible acts of faith and mercy. Around 2000, I mentioned this to a friend and um, he commented, well, I, I believe they are. I, really? And that was the first time I heard about the Anglican movement in uh, America. For those that don't know the, the, the sequence here, uh, for a season, the Anglican churches that were, were coming out of the Episcopal church had to be under some pro providence authority. And so the various um, jurisdictions of several African bishops and others, mostly from the Southern um, hemisphere, which tells you a lot about where Christianity has shifted. Um, countries like Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya, Nigeria, which is actually the second largest Anglican province in the world, much, much larger than here, and other provinces. After uh, so many years, they did what great missionaries do. They said, you need indigenous leadership. You need to come together. And all during that time, God was calling together the Anglican Church in North America. And so then they, you know, said, our time, our season of supporting you has gone back. That was such a generous and courageous thing for them to do. It was very controversial, as you might imagine, crossing provinces into another country with that. But they loved Jesus, they believed the Bible, and they were, were, were there for us at a time when we really needed that, during that transition. And one of the reasons there was such a large presence of Anglican Christians in Africa is because about 300 years ago to about 100 years ago, Anglican missions was rocking and rolling. And, and going to Africa. When I was a freshman at, uh, or a, a junior at the University of Florida, I took a class that was just talking about African history and it wrote about the Anglican missionaries that were there. And so the Anglican presence in Africa and the Catholic presence are very, very strong throughout the entire uh, continent. In fact, um, South African Anglican Bishop Desmond Tutu is famously quoted as saying, when the missionaries came to Africa, they had the Bible and we had the land. And they said, let us pray. We closed our eyes and when we opened them, we had the Bible and they had the land. Thankfully now, our African brothers and sisters have both the land and the Bible and they reached out to us in our time of need. Missions is a huge part of the Catholic and Protestant uh, legacy that we enjoy. St. Patrick brought the light of Christ to the Irish through setting up his monasteries downtown, opening the gates, setting up tables, feeding people, coming and going, whereas the traditional Roman monasteries were up in the mountains trying to get away from the people. You know, he went right down and, and, and developed those relationships. Same thing we are doing. 
St. Francis of Assisi gave up material wealth in exchange for a simple life dedicated to the poor. He and his followers were noted for proclaiming the gospel boldly. He's quoted as saying, it's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. And by the way, the quote, you know, uh, share the gospel wherever you go and if absolutely necessary, use words. He didn't say that. He said this. I kind of like that quote. I think it can be distorted, but I think it's a great quote. But this is what he said. Make your life and your actions match what you are proclaiming. The Methodist movement in the Church of England that influenced leaders like William Wilberforce, who uh, championed the Slavery uh, Abolition Act of 1833, 30 years before we had a war to stop slavery, they passed that in England, which brought an end to slavery in most of the British Empire around the world. Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., the examples can go on and on. My point is that biblically and historically, being an evangelical as the one who brings the good news to Jesus about Jesus to others has always been tied to acts of charity and acts of mercy. You've read the scriptures that we had here today and talking about that. They only got separated in the 60s or so when, when we started saying the sort of this witnessing mindset, let's go witness but not take care of the needs and the social gospel mindset of, well, we're just going to feed people and not take care of them. But historically, what the Bible says, what history says, what our legacy says, is those are together. You love people and you're serving people in a way that deals with not only their physical needs, but their spiritual needs, their emotional needs, their relational needs. We are a, a soul. And so you can't just separate that and tear that down. And so that's why that is such an important part of this. God loves us and has a deep compassion for the poor and marginalized. God has provided a way for us to have new changed lives full of meaning and purpose through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We can be freed from our spiritual and our emotional oppression. And we are to resist all forms of oppression and marginalization of others. It just goes together. You, you separate that and it just does not go well because that is not what God wants and when you think of evangelism and mission in these terms, it makes sense when the Apostle Paul reminds us by quoting Isaiah, Old Testament and New Testament, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Kathy recently reminded me um, that when Jesus said, go into all the world, to the, even to the ends of the earth, that he was in Jerusalem when he said this. So that means that here in Gainesville, Florida, we're at the ends of the earth. We're the people who are out here and thank goodness missionaries have brought the Christian faith down through history and brought it to us and that we know him. And our responsibility is to keep passing that on down and passing that on out. God placed this church right next to an elementary school that is diverse and full of different language and ethnic groups. And we live in a town with a huge university that is bringing the world to us. And many of these folks have an opportunity to hear about Christ here that they would never have in their home countries. But then they go back to those countries and they become indigenous missionaries here. So we are the indigenous missionaries that the apostles and, and, and Jesus prayed for that we would one day really understand our responsibility. So what I'm gonna do 
is I'm going to read the Isaiah 61 uh, chapter, which was a, a prophetic uh, description of Jesus when it says me, you know, the Lord has given me, this is my calling, but he's given us that responsibility. And I'm going to be reading from an uh, easy to read translation called the New International Reader's Version. Uh, it's very understandable. And, and the reason I'm doing that is that Sometimes we have sort of this church vocabulary. We have, I love the, the very academic um, scripture translations, but when you're, when you're talking to someone who didn't grow up in a church, who's new to the faith, there's some really great Bibles out there that make that just much more accessible. So what I'm going to do, this isn't in that translation to doing this, but what I'm going to do is replace the me referring to Jesus to you referring to those who follow Jesus, was all of us, Okay. And you can think of this as your missionary charge or commissioning, not officially. The spirit of our Lord and King is on you. The Lord has anointed you to announce good news to poor people. He is sending you and me to comfort those whose hearts have been broken. He's sending you to announce freedom for those who have been captured. He wants you to set the prisoners free from their dark cells. He is sending you to announce the year when he will set his people free. He wants you to announce the day when he will pay the, his enemies back. Our God is sending you to comfort all who are sad. So there are three easy steps of being a missionary. I'm going to tell you the, the great secret to it and, and mission work. And this is World Mission Sunday, and we are called here to Gainesville, Florida. So here's the first, first thing, and this is uh, where I'm going to close after these three. Show up. Be kind. Just show up and be kind. Paul writes in 1 Colossians is that the mystery is this, that Christ is in us, the Holy Spirit is in us, you know, the hope of glory. So when we go and we show up, it's God doing the work. You know, we're just being obedient and, and going and showing up. You know, even if you're brand new to the faith, go see what God can do. Show up wherever you go with an expectation that something really cool is going to happen. Believing is more than understanding or doubt, as the Apostle Thomas has shown us. It's about commitment. It's about showing up. Learn the names of those around you and express appreciation for those who serve you in restaurants and in stores and first responders and, and, and whoever. Just show hospitals. Notice and comment on the good things around you. It's so much easier to be critical, but it's not the way of the Lord. Find the good and comment on it and, and just show up and be kind to people. Because what's happening is the spirit in you is interacting with the spirit in them. It's God who's doing the work. And we're just people who are being obedient to our Heavenly Father. And pray that God gives you new eyes so that when you see people, you see them as he sees them. You see them with his eyes. Number two, the big secret. You first show up and be kind. Love Jesus deeply. Okay. For those of us who, who came to Christ a little old, older, it's, a, it's easy to sort of see this conversion, this change, and 
what's gone on. But even to those of us born in Christian families, baptized and confirmed part of a church, at some point we have to own our own faith. Even faith with doubts that we really do believe in a God who is revealed in Jesus and pursues us through the Holy Spirit. And at some point we began to realize this is not just my parents' faith. This is just not my mentor's faith. This is just not my priest's faith. This is my faith. Because if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, dead. You will be saved. I confess he's my Lord. I believe in my heart and I want my life to reflect Jesus. Be honest. The last one. Just be honest. Don't inflate. Don't hide. Just be yourself. And that's one thing that the world really does respond very well to, is the fact that we're not just being pretentious. Just be honest. Sharing your faith is simply about being honest about your journey, the good, the bad, and the ugly, which includes the impact of Jesus on your life. At the Young Life Banquet on Monday night, which was just great, the word we heard over and over again was change. I was this, I met Jesus, and my life changed. Change. He is constantly changing us. And I never forget what it feels like to be a lost and hurting teenager. And so that's one of the reasons that we've spent most of our career in working with teenagers in, in one form or another. And I praise God that some of these young life missionaries came to my school when I was at Buholtz High School and built a relationship with me and many of my friends. And it changed my life. It made all the difference. So you are missionaries. We are at the ends of the world. We're out here, and we just need to show up with kindness, love Jesus deeply, and just be honest, simply honest. So congratulations. You're now fully equipped. Always remember that no matter what challenge you face, what adventures you're going on, what opportunities come your way? God is with you always. No matter where you go, God is already there. So as a psalmist proclaims, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation day by day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly do be praised. What an amazing God we serve together. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.